turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, and today we will be in the rest of the chapter from where we uh, finished off last week, so we're verses 5 through 18, and uh, yeah, obviously today is a little different. If you're in your normal seat uh, it might be because the person that sits in the opposite hour in your normal seat is not in their normal seat. So maybe you should find them and you don't even know who they are, right? But somebody came, might have come in today and they, wait, where am I supposed to go? Uh, which hour am I in or whatever? And so I'm thankful uh, for those of you who are here. If you are at home online, uh, we understand the kind of the uniqueness of this situation and are thankful for a gift of technology, but, but man, we, we, we love it so much more when we are together, right? We have learned that. If we have not learned anything in the last couple of years, I think we've learned that we would rather be together than apart. And so I'm thankful for uh, the opportunity to, to be together, at least for some of us today. Uh, this, this last song and these last words from, uh, from Gino were helpful reminder, right? If you didn't know this, Jesus is the climax of the story. Like, he's it, right? And so, so even uh, if you were with us a couple years ago when we walked through all of the books of the Old Testament, you know, just week after week, looking at another book of the Old Testament, uh, if you were here, I think you remember that, right? We just, we like never left the Old Testament, just 11 months of, of Old Testament text after Old Testament text. But each time we were finding Christ in those scriptures. And it wasn't, wasn't that it was that hard to find. He's, when he's actually the point, it makes sense. And so maybe you were here and we were seeing Christ in Nehemiah and we were seeing Christ in Obadiah and we were, I mean, that's just like a page and we still found Christ there, right? We were seeing Christ in, in all of scripture over and over. And this is what we see in the book of Hebrews. We're just seeing Jesus over and over and over and over again. I know I have mentioned this the last couple of weeks. I'm gonna keep mentioning it, but I wanna encourage you over these couple months, even in addition to your uh, Bible reading plan, read from Hebrews. I, I believe that it will make a greater impact if you read it in like on your own before you come and have me talk about it, right? You can just know we'll be in the next part. So I, you might not be able to guess how many verses, but just like the next portion. In fact, I'll go ahead and tell you next week we'll be in chapter three. So sometime this week, read Chapter three, there's, there's fruit in that. Don't let it be that I'm the only one in the room that has read Hebrews before we get here, All right, okay? So, so do that. Um, in fact, why don't, we, why don't we look to the word now and uh, we'll, we'll jump in from there. So Hebrews chapter two, beginning in verse five. Now it was not, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking it has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection under him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for a little while 
was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You know, we all worship something. I hope that, mo I hope that all of us, in fact, would say that we worship the Lord God Almighty that we just sang about. I, I would hope that, that that's even the reason you chose to gather this morning, but maybe that's not the case. Maybe you are here because your dad said, get in the truck. <laughs> you didn't really have an option. You just did it. Maybe you're here this morning because someone else twisted your arm, kind of guilted you into it. Maybe you don't even know why you're here this morning. You just arrived. I don't know, but we, we do worship. It's, it's actually like in our being, right? We, to worship is to ascribe worth to something or someone, right? And so when, when we ascribe worth to something to a, a certain level, we begin to worship that something. And so you might even ask yourself that question. What do I ascribe worth to? What do I think is worthy of worship? What do I think is worthy of my time and my energy and my money and my resources? You see, what we'll be reminded today is that Jesus is worthy of worship. In fact, Jesus is better to worship than any of those other things that just scrolled through your mind, any of the things that fall into that list, whether they're in regards to your finances or your resources or your calendar or whatever it is, Jesus is better to worship than whatever those things are. Today, we're going to consider two reasons in particular while Jesus, why Jesus is worthy of worship. The first, he is worthy of worship because of his cross. Think about this, even in the text. So in verse nine, what we see him for a little while was made lower than angels. And so we, we, we think about what do we mean by that? Well, that means he left heaven, okay? He came out of heaven, but he was crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death 
so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. His death on the cross, Jesus dying on the cross, his exiting heaven and entering the earth was for us. Like his whole plan of walking on this earth, being tempted and never failing, never sinning, never falling short, living a perfect life, and then dying on the cross, this is a reason to worship him. Think about these reasons, right? He, he suffered in humility, right? Even, even just the idea that he became lower than the angels. That's hard for us to grasp, I think, because uh, as, we, as Noah pointed out so well, heaven is, is something that we can't fathom, right? That we just know that it's better than a sleepover, <laughs> right? We know that it's better than something. We know that it seems really great, but, but for Jesus, who was like, I know that we know that he reigns in the future and that hopefully we know that he reigns now, but he was reigning before. Right? And so he, he leaves the throne, leaves heaven, leaves this just eternity of like hearing and knowing worship over and over. He leaves that. That's, that's a different level of humility. Talk about not thinking of yourself. Right, this was, this was his work. And then in verse 18, it says, for because he himself has suffered when tempted. I want you to, to think about maybe even the humiliation of the cross. I realize that a lot of times uh, on, on like a Palm Sunday or a Good Friday kind of day, we're leading up to Easter. Some of us ponder on those days, the cross, and the, the depth of physical pain that would have happened on those days. I, I hope that you think of it on those days, but I also hope that you think of it more often than that. I mean, think just for a moment. Jesus would have likely been naked. He would have been beaten, spat upon, slapped, hit, whipped. We certainly know that he had a crown of thorns placed on his head. All of these things, demeaning, harsh, cruel. And we just talked about the fact that he has a permanent seat in heaven that he left. You think he left that and was surprised? Was he surprised by this activity? No. Jesus, Jesus doesn't have a surprised face. He doesn't get shocked. And so he, he comes to earth, you know, a little lower than the angels, but he goes not just to death, he goes to death on the cross. That's a, that's a different type of suffering. It's a different type of humility. But he didn't just 
suffer in humility. This is where I would say the, the course turns just a little bit because if it's just suffering in humility, it's just kind of sad. We're like, oh, that's kind of a puny Jesus who just gets beat up and gets spit on and gets a crown on his head. And, and like, oh, that's just sad for him. Oh, like he left, his, he left his throne for that. I want you to listen to what he left his throne for. He conquered the devil. This is what this describes in verse 14. Look at this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death, this shameful, this sad, puny, speaking of like this death, this horrific death that he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And I don't know what it is about this phrase, the devil. When we think the devil, I think we think of the little red cartoon that sits on the shoulder with a pitchfork, right? Devil has lost its uh, emphasis of evil, okay? But, but that's what you need to have in mind. And the king of kings and lord of lords left his throne to conquer, not a little red cartoon, but to conquer the prince of evil. And he won. See, it even says, like, think about, he has the, has the power of death but he died that he might destroy the power of death. We talk about this sometimes in this room, maybe not often enough, but it is best for us to know our enemy. To know who your enemy is, you will fight differently. I mean, this happens all the time in sports, right? I mean, in all kinds of sporting events, you, you have to know your opponent, right? You have to know, I think about basketball in particular. You've got to know, do they have a really good point guard? They have a really good center. Maybe they got both, but like, what, what is it that our, our defensive plan has to be? What is this going to look like on the football field? What does this look like on the, the tennis court? We know that they got a really good forehand, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep hitting to their backhand, right? All of these things happen over and over. We, we think about it then, but then when it comes to spiritual warfare, we forget all about our enemy. It's like we ignore the fact that our enemy is not our spouse, Right? We'll, we'll raise up all kinds of fight against our wayward child, our failed career, our ex-boyfriend, our ex-girlfriend, our current boyfriend or girlfriend, our mean boss. You will, you will wage war against your phone. And, and that's not your enemy. Your, your enemy is not your inability to get the thing that you want. Your enemy is not your, the fact that you want a boyfriend or you want a girlfriend and it hasn't happened to you. You want marriage. You want children. You want a job. You want good grades. You want to graduate. You want to get the promotion. You want, you want. And that is not the enemy either. The enemy is not all the stuff that you don't have. To be clear, your enemy is death. And your enemy is the one who has power of death, who is the devil. Satan is your enemy. So stop fighting the wrong enemy. He, Jesus, conquered your enemy by conquering the other enemy. Think about this, right? 
So he conquered death. I mean, he conquered the devil because he conquered death. Right? So here's what we know. Yes, we know that it is at the cross that salvation is brought. We know that it's at the cross that that, that actually punishment for our sin is taken on. We know that that's when he drinks full the cup of wrath that he says, hey, take this from me unless, like if not my will, but your will. And so then he turns that cup over, drinks every last drop of the wrath of God and then turns it over and says, I've drunk it all. And he drinks the wrath of God. He drinks the punishment for our sin, for your sin, and for my sin. He drinks every last drop of that. But the reason we know that it worked is because of the resurrection, right? We know that, that he actually, that that actually took place. The curtain was torn in two. The curtain was torn in two when he died, right? We have, we have access to the, the throne room of the Father because he died. But the reason we know it worked is because he came back to life and never died again. This is, this is him conquering the devil by conquering death. You know that for just, for just a brief moment, you kind of wonder, does the enemy think he's won? Like in those, in those days, was he wondering, like, did, I, did I get victory there? I don't think that he actually did think that. I think he was well enough acquainted with the scripture, maybe even arguably more acquainted than we are, that he knew. He had heard Jesus say these things over and over. He knew. I didn't win, but we put up a good fight. See, if, if you know your enemy then you can know how to fight your enemy. Scripture even tells us, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and principalities of this dark world. And then he goes into an explanation of an armor that we're supposed to use to fight this enemy. And if you know that the victory is already yours, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, then you fight more confidently. You go in with a greater boldness, a greater sense of already accomplished. This is one, like I don't have to worry or fret or fear. We've already won. See, yeah, he suffered in humility. He was naked and spat upon and beat and whipped and all of those things. But he conquered the devil and in so doing, he delivers from slavery. Look at verse 15. Those are the words, right? And, and he delivered all those through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. This is unique, though, because this was not a delivery out of slavery into the abyss. Like, hey, we're, we're no longer slaves, but we're, we're nothing, we're nothing. We're just not slaves. No, instead, if you look in verse 10, he does something more than that. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So notice this. Went to, from being slaves, slaves to fear, slaves to sin, went from being slaves to sons. You don't just go from being a slave to being nothing. You go from a slave to a son of the most high God, a child of the king. 
You know, if you've studied very much of the Civil War era and the ending of slavery in America, we know that some were not even told of the end of slavery for some two and a half years, right? We have this new national holiday, Juneteenth, because of that very reason, right? So it was two and a half years later, Emancipation Proclamation, and then Texas doesn't hear about it for two and a half years. So people can continuing to live in slavery. Others knew of slavery, and they knew slavery was over, but didn't know what to do next. Can you imagine? That was the only life you knew. And now you're told you're not a slave. And that sounds great. You would rather not be one. But what now? Who am I? Where am I supposed to go? Do I, do I still live in the South? Do I need to move north? If I'm going to move north, do I, do I take my family with me? Do I, is there going to be a job available when I get there? What, what am I supposed to do? Where should I go? Who am I? Right? You've got to imagine that the types of questions that those slaves were asking, those former slaves were asking, would have been drastic. I want you to hear this. Brothers and sisters, we are not bought out of slavery just to wander in the desert. To, to flounder around wondering whether who we are now. We don't, we don't try to figure out, am I supposed to move to, this, to, the, to the north? Am I going to find a job? We don't ask the question, who am I? We are not ransomed from a life of horror simply to meander in the maze of mediocrity. We are, not, we are delivered from slavery so that we might have freedom found only in Christ, to live our lives wholly and completely for Christ. This is why he is worthy of worship. Jesus is worthy of worship because he changes us entirely. He, he shifts our whole life pattern. He completely changed our status from slave to son, from slave to daughter. You can now know who you are in Christ. And he atoned for sin. Verse 17. Look there. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. I would encourage you, if, if you are one who underlined circles in your Bible, circle the word propitiation. Circle it because it's an important word. It's one that we don't want to remove. And I, uh, your, if your translation doesn't say it, don't go into panic mode. I would guess it probably uses something like atonement or he atoned for our sin or something of that nature. But propitiation, it's one of the reasons I like this translation is because it actually keeps that word there. It's a, it's a word that describes a substitutionary replacement for our sin. Notice in that it uses the phrase, he had to be, right? I've wondered the question before, maybe you have. Could God have saved us any other way? Right? Would, it, would it have been possible? 
And in, in the sense, right, like there's those philosophical questions you ask yourself that's like, okay, could God have done another thing because God can do anything? Yeah, okay, I'm not trying to get into that argument. What I am saying is that this says he had to be like his brothers. And every, he had to do this. One, one uh, commentator I was reading said it this way, God only acts in the way that corresponds with his character and most displays his glory. Thus, in order to both satisfy his justice and display his mercy, God put Christ forward as a, who this is a word, propitiatory sacrifice. No external necessity is forced on God, but God is always consistent with his own character. So what that means is there was no other way. God designed it that there would be no other way. So he, he put in his own character, like because he is just, because he is merciful. The only way is that his son would be the only way. And, and here's something that is important for us. This is one of those theological word things that just becomes important for us to know. I don't want you to just like listen to it and throw it away, but I understand that it, it can get a little messy. So I want to explain that there's a difference between propitiation and expiation. So expiation is simply the washing away of sin. In fact, there was a season in the, in the church, in the history of the church, that that was the desire, was to talk simply about the washing away of sin, the cleansing of sin. And so using words, in fact, some translations that don't have propitiation purposely don't have it because those translators believed in expiation. But propitiation is the satisfaction of the justice of God and the fulfillment of the mercy of God. See, if, if there was another way, then the brutal suffering of humiliation that we just described, don't you think we would have, he would have just done that way? When Jesus is bowing to his knees, crying, and it describes him sweating blood, crying out to the Father, is there any other way? Take this cup from me if there's any other way. Don't you think the father who knows and loves his son so deeply, don't you think he would say, yeah, there's a, there's a back door. There's another way. There's a, a, a simpler, less painful, less suffering, less humiliating way. But because God is just and God is mercy, this was and is the only way. The satisfaction of the justice of God was seen at the cross. He was our substitute. Both making him just and the justifier. When I think about him being worthy of worship because of his cross, I come to this last part that he helps the tempted. Jesus helps the tempted there in this last verse of this chapter, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Just last night, uh, maybe, maybe you do this with your children. Uh, 
we were, we were reading, or I was reading to Zeke. I don't know how much of it he was understanding, but we read it anyway, right? You know, when you read to the infant, even though they don't know what you're reading, you, you want to read scripture over them. If you don't do that, you should. Just like hope that anything sinks in. And so to one who doesn't quite speak a lot of English yet, that's what we're doing with him, right? We just want, to, want him to hear that. And so last night in, in our like, storybook Bible, we were at the temptation of Jesus. That wasn't, wasn't like a, a breeze. Now, he certainly didn't fail, but those were legitimate temptations. Hey, you're really hungry. Make the rocks bread. You can eat. Hey, show me that you're really who you say are. Jump, jump off the, like, the roof, right? All of these things. But there's this, there's this piece to Jesus in this that, this already not yet for us, right? He has conquered. He has delivered. He has atoned. Why, why does he still have to help us, right? If he's already conquered death, if he's already beat the enemy, why aren't we just walking in victory? Why do we continue to sin? If he's already delivered us from slavery and called us his children, if he's already atoned for our sin, why is it that we still need help at all? There's this already inaugurated work of salvation and the still waiting on the consummation of our glorification. It's called the act of sanctification, the ongoing work of us coming to be more and more like Christ. And so, Christian, rest that he is here to help. This one who has the victory over death helps because we, we are not in the seat yet of, as Gino said, of, of Joe Ulmer. We are we're still in the, the growing process of looking more and more like Christ. So when temptation comes your way, know that you have one who will never leave you nor forsake you. It doesn't necessarily take the temptation away, but is there right beside you to defeat the enemy yet again. You don't have to fall every time. This is why I believe Paul writes in Romans 12 to rejoice in hope, to be patient in tribulation, and to be constant in prayer. The expectation is that life is going to be hard, that tribulation is going to come. The expectation is that this is going to be difficult. So, so rejoice in the things that you don't see. Be patient in the things that you do see. And in all of it, pray. So he is worthy of worship because of his cross, and he is worthy of worship because of his crown. Right? It says, in fact, a couple different times in this text, you have crowned him with glory and honor. We sang that in that last song. We sang those words. He's crowned with glory and honor. Why do we see this as a crown? Why, is, why does he have glory and honor? This, what, what's, what has taken place? What do we see in this text? This, this crown of glory and honor is displayed for two reasons. One is that he is the sovereign creator of all things. Right? Verse 8, 
He put everything in subjection under his feet, putting everything in subjection to him, left nothing outside his control. Everything is under his subjection. So he rules it all. He ruled it all. He rules it all and will rule it all forever and ever. He's the sovereign creator. So he, the reason we know he created, verse 10, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist. It exists because it is from him. He, he made things. He made you. He made the earth and the sky and the sea. Uh, even just this last week, I was um, our uh, weekday preschool had our, their last uh, things like graduation. Man, there's a lot of graduations, right? You graduate from kindergarten, graduate from fifth grade, you graduate from eighth grade. Grad, it's like, look, if you just get out, graduate already, okay, right? But 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 here, man, we we were we're not wanting them to get out. We love them. We're so glad they were here. But so they were they were doing all these songs in the last group. They were doing like all the days of creation and and what all God created. Here's the thing: like every one of those days stars in the sky, all the different motions they were doing. They, Jesus created it all. He did that. Stars in the sky, birds in the air, fish of the sea, the sea. He made it all. So he's the sovereign creator of all things. And listen carefully. He is the perfect founder of all salvation. Verse 10, in that second part, make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. This is one of those times it would be good, whatever is on your mind right now, to hone in real close. Jesus is not crowned with glory and honor simply because he is the second person of the Trinity. He is for that, but not, not just that. He is not just crowned because he is the creator and sustainer of life. He is that, but not just that. Jesus is crowned with glory and honor because he brought to us salvation. He is crowned with glory and honor because his death tore the curtain in two. He is the propitiation for our sin, the deliverer from slavery to sonship. He is crowned with glory and honor because he has fulfilled the prophecy of being the only true Messiah, fulfilling his very name, Jesus, which means Yahweh, the Lord saves. He is crowned with glory and honor because he is the only one worthy of being crowned as such. It is to this Messiah that the psalmist would write in Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Listen to, right? Psalmist writes, you have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is the man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? 
You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. This is the Lord. This is Jesus. That is why, oh sinner, that we can rest in the one who tasted death for us. If you were wondering, I was speaking to you. Sinner refers to all of us in the room and all of us at home and all of us everywhere. We are sinners. We have offended a righteous, holy, perfect, just God. And because of that, his son, Jesus, tasted death for us. He became one of us, human. He was tempted, tested, but he did not fail. He passed with flying colors and his sacrifice was not only sufficient for my sin, it was sufficient for all and efficient for all those who trust in Jesus. It works we can make claims like Joe Ulmer is with the Father today. Because to be absent from the, the body for the believer is to be present with the Lord. So here's what I'm asking. For those of you who don't know Jesus this way. You know of Jesus, you know about Jesus. But if you don't know this Jesus this way, then I want to plead with you to to turn away from all of those plans you have, all the things that you, maybe you've ascribed worship to, all the things that you've put in place that, that matter most to you, and instead, trust in Jesus, the one who has offered salvation. In fact, when I think of the responses that need to take place today, I think that trusting in Jesus for salvation is the first and most significant. So if that's you today, trust in Jesus. Maybe you have questions about that. You, you're curious a little bit more about his death and resurrection or why did, he, why did this really take place? Or what did I ever do really wrong? Or in, in just a minute when we stand to sing here to my left, in this room, there will be some that would love to speak with you. So you just walk down the aisle, you can come and shake their hand and say, I wanna know more about trusting Jesus. And, and maybe, maybe you are at home and this is stirring in your head. I wanna encourage you to send an email, call the church. Uh, in fact, you can, yeah, you can call the church this week, 601-956-5000 call the church and, and say, I, I want to know more about trusting in Jesus. Did I get that number right? Okay, good. Woo. I had a little panic button. Uh, no, like reach out, look on our website, find us. Like we want to speak with you about these things. For the rest of us, we have something else to do. Yes, we trust in Jesus for our salvation, but every day we trust in Jesus for victory. For victory for bringing us out of slavery, for bringing us into sonship, for, for allowing us to defeat temptation. And 
so that's why we will stand and sing, right? That's why we will sing of his praises. It's why we'll rejoice in him because upon him, Christ, like Christ has died. It's, it's that we are forgiven and Christ is alive. He, he will raise us from the dead. Finish with this quote. God is not worshiped where he is not treasured and enjoyed. So do you enjoy Christ? See, just kind of a side note. Do you find your greatest satisfaction, your greatest fulfillment, your greatest delight in Jesus? He is better. Stand with me now as we worship the one who is better.